0: hi i'm sydney and i'm sam and this is books and bagels
1: before we get into our interview for today let's go over some of our favorite reads from winter break
0: my favorite read from over winter break was definitely Girls of Paper and Fire. It is a this the first book to a trilogy and the sequel has come out. The third book is slated to come out sometime this summer. I don't remember the exact date, but it is really hard to talk about without spoiling the first couple of chapters, but pretty much it involves a lot of like dark themes. And I definitely would not read this if you are like triggered by anything like sexual assault or coercion related. But if you're good with that, I would 100% read it. It was a really good book and it was unexpectedly good. I will say that. Like the first couple of chapters, I was like, okay, I can kind of see why people like this. And then after that, I was like, wait, slow down this got really good
1: so my favorite read from winter break was i want to be where the normal people are by rachel bloom who is like there are many there are many good jewish celebrities okay there are many but she's like up there like it's like her ben platt that's it like she's up there and this is basically like her memoir rachel is the was the writer producer and star of crazy Ex-Girlfriend which is a totally hilarious show about a woman who moves to California to chase after her ex-boyfriend. And it's a musical show, it's hilarious, it's excellent, it's on Netflix. Anyway, um, in her book, she talks about mental health, her musical theater obsessions, and her awkwardness in middle school, which you know we all can relate to, among other topics. Um, I loved this book. Celebrity memoirs, in my opinion, although like Tina Fey's bossy pants was pretty good, they're very rarely unique in their structure. We'll just say that. But I thought she did a really great job breaking out of the mold and making the book unique and even kind of having some like fun, weird tidbits, like a 15-minute musical in the middle of the book, a Harry Potter fan fiction, and a personality test with some extraordinarily existential answers. Let's just say I had been... I was questioning my life after reading that chapter. Overall, I would give it a 4.9 out of five because my critique was that it was just too short. I wanted more, I wanted more information, but she's really funny. Um, I would say very honest, like she doesn't sound overly pretentious or polished and it's a hilarious book in many,
0: many regards. Um, go read it. We are so excited because for this week's episode, we're going to be talking with the author of the YA Thriller, Every Soul and Breath, Kimberly Gabriel. This
1: Gabriel was my seventh grade English teacher. She's basically responsible for teaching me how to write. And as Sydney just mentioned, she's the author of Every Soul and Breath, a YA thriller about a girl named Leah who attempts to uncover the truth about a violent flash mob gang that has taken over Chicago and murdered her father. Just a quick warning, we will be spoiling the book which we 15 out of 10 recommend you go read. And also just a quick trigger warning, there will be mentions of violence. First, we wanted to talk to you about Every Stolen Breath. I loved it. After reading like the first three chapters, I thought it was so good in your class. And now every time I go to the library, they give me like a every stolen breath bookmark with the book. Yeah. <laughs> so I
0: was like, oh, advertising. Like what was, what do you think was the
2: hardest scene to write out of all of them? Wow, that is such a great question. Um, I would say that typically for my writing that the hardest scene is the beginning scene for me. Um, for every stolen breath, that scene where you know, she's at Navy Pier and she um, you know, really wants to figure out who murdered her dad and get collect evidence to um, prosecute the people who did so, um, and at the very end, she jumps off of Navy Pier, that was always the same thing. Um, that didn't change, but the way that I kept approaching that scene and developing Leah's character um, was really hard because, you know, trying to immerse you in her and her backstory um, in the first five pages in a way that is going to make you want to continue reading. So for me, the beginnings of books are always really, really hard. Um, and then once I get about halfway through a book, it it just is really easy to draft and it's really easy to revise and it just flows because I feel like I know the characters. So in terms of probably the scene that I rewrote the most, it would have been that one. Um, um, The scene that was the hardest to write was probably when I I killed off Adam because um, I did so reluctantly. That was not in the original draft. And um, that was a suggestion that uh, my agent actually made. and then when it got picked up by Harper Collins and I had an editor, I, you know, the one of the first things I said was, if we don't want to kill Adam and you want me to bring him back, I'm okay with that. <laughs> and um, she said, no, Adam has to die. And my a- agent was the one that said, Adam has to die. Um, however, you and I, we were all just talking about the you know, screen adaptation, the film adaptation of, of Every Stolen Breath uh, and the screenwriter kept him alive. Uh, because when she said that she was going to rewrite it, that was another thing that I introduced. I said, if you want to keep Adam, I love him. He's, he's my favorite. So, um, you're welcome to, and she did, she kept him alive. Kind of off of that question about how you introduce
1: characters, um, how do you make sure that like the reader is kind of attached to the character without
2: kind of giving away everything that makes them unique or a compelling character? That to me is the hardest part about being a writer. Um, you know, for, and, and different writers are different. You know, I, um, one of my greatest friends in the writing industry right now is an author named Kara McDowell. And Kara McDowell, um, who writes with Scholastic, she produces books that are so character-based and you like her first drafts you know exactly who the character is within the the first three uh, pages um and then in her edits she's constantly working on plot you know like high stakes and plot and i would say i'm the opposite i know my plot and i know you know what has to happen and i i'm very aware of keeping the tension on the page but then as i go back and revise it is all about attaching the reader to the character and introducing the character um, in a way that the reader is going to be able to either relate to the character or at least know the character um, where that character is going to feel like a real person and not just somebody that i made up in my head
0: continuing with the character sort of theme that we have going how do you make sure that the characters aren't all just mirrors of each other like how when you're writing do you distinctly give them personality traits that when you're reading you and you see someone say something even if there's no dialogue tagged on it that you go oh that is so something that Adam would say.
2: I work hard at that and uh, you know I'm I'm revising a book right now it has it's all drafted um, and the plot is there and right now I'm I'm focusing solely on the characters before I send it to my agent and so I'm making sure that this one is is told in dual POVs and I'm going through each of those two POVs one at a time so that their emotional journey and their emotional arc feels true. And it feels very um, true to the character, but then you also see growth and change with each character. Uh, And then I do that with each of my minor characters too. I will go through all of their scenes one at a time to make sure it sounds like them and not me saying something that I think is funny, but it's like their voice and something that they would say or they're reacting in a way that would be true to them. Um, I love taking um, pictures of how I would picture these characters and I'll like put it up on my screen and I will write the entire screen with a picture of of how I'm picturing them um, right next to me. I think there have been times where I've been teaching class and there are pictures of like young actors and young actresses that like pop up on my screen and I have to exit out of them because you know, I have my writing sessions in the morning. They're like, what's that Mrs. Gabriel? Like, Don't worry about it.
1: Um, so obviously, I guess, spoiler alert again, um, Richard turns out to be the leader of the flash mob, which i found very surprising. Um, at what kind of stage in your drafts or did you kind of go into it being like, I want him to be the person behind all of this. And did you leave any Easter eggs for the reader or hints or did you want it to kind of be
2: a big twist? Um, to me, it was always so obvious that it was gonna be Richard. Like, to me, I love when somebody says that they didn't expect it to be Richard because when I was writing and I'm like, okay, this is the most obvious thing in the world. Everybody's gonna know that it's Richard. Um, and so I, I love hearing that people are shocked by it. I think, You know, there have been many times where I have debated whether or not the mayor was a part of it. Um, And so that was something that I was uncertain of in different times and stages that I was writing. Um, And in the end, I had a very strong opinion of it, um, which I don't often share. Um, I kind of like to hear how other people think of it. I think his character throughout the entire book, when I wrote him, um, again, very isolated from the other characters, and I just focused on his scenes, um, he was always, to me, the person who was very obviously behind the swarm from the very first scene when he's on his phone and he is um, very into why she was there and what she took away from it and whether or not she saw anybody. you know, and whether or not she has anything to share with him. Um, I think, again, I when I wrote those scenes, I'm like, okay, this is just being too obvious. So I, I like when people don't notice it.
0: This is like a mystery thriller type book and it did involve like a lot of violence, I guess. Um, How did you, how were you able to sort of come up with all of these, in my opinion, kind of incredibly violent at points and like really, dark themes um because like you're a middle school English teacher and
2: that is such a funny question and I I love that question so much um you know I think early on as a writer I noticed that in order for readers to attach themselves to a story they had to be emotionally connected um and when I first started writing I went for very funny books um and I do think that I wrote in a very funny voice, but I never wrote a book in its entirety. Uh, and then I, I had some life events, which um, for a long time I was attached to really sad ev- books. Like the sadder the book, you know, the more I connected to it, the more in love that I was. And then I went through some life events that were so sad for me, I, I couldn't do sad anymore. And so at some point I went from being a, a person that liked sad books to a person that loved tension. Um, and around 2000, oh, what was it, like 12, 2011, 2012, uh, the flash mob attacks were happening in the city of Chicago. And it was living in Chicago at that time. And they were
0: terrifying
2: to me. I think, you know, over the summer that those first flash mob attacks occurred, where there would be about 20 teens that would blend in with a crowd, and then they would all have a signal usually via um, social media and they would converge on one person and mug them and beat them up. Um, During that first summer where those attacks occurred, there were only like three attacks, Um, but they happened in like proclaimed safe areas that were close to where I lived. And even though Chicago has plenty of other violence, for whatever reason, this particular story um, scared me. I mean, it terrified me. It was like every time I was pregnant with my second child and every time my husband left the house, I was like, you have to text me when you get there and you have to call me. And I was paranoid he was going to get attacked by a flash mob, which was an irrational thought. But it also got my wheels turning, that if I was so attached to something that was so terrifying, then that was a good emotion to be able to put into my books, especially because I can't handle sad stuff. Um, And so, you know, that was what I I kind of intended the reader to feel um, while reading my book. Uh, And then I would listen to uh, Zero Dark Thirty, like soundtrack music. which is really intense and really angsty. And I would write these scenes over and over and over again to try to get them right. Um, So yeah, I don't think it was necessarily easy but it was me kind of pouring emotion into this. And a lot of it was based on my own fear um, of these attacks when they first occurred.
1: I find it so interesting that like, I had no idea that these things were even happening in Chicago or even like a part of Chicago history until you mentioned it in class and like, just now I'm like really interested in looking into more of that. And if there has been any like conspiracy theories about kind of the swarm, I suppose.
2: It, you know, it I made it worse. So what happened in Chicago was, you know, 20 teens attacking a kid, a, you know, a person on the street. Um, and it was just a mugging and You know that person would be beat up and things would be stolen and that would be it um and so that's not enough to drive a book you need higher stakes than that and so i made it bigger and i put death in there and i made it an epidemic did you always want to have it based in chicago or were there like other locations you tested out tested out others um but I, I I love Chicago, and that were that was one of my favorite parts, being able to put all these places that I love um, into the book. You know, when I, I- I started drafting this, I had just moved from Chicago into the suburbs. And so a lot of this is ironically, my love letter to Chicago. Now I say ironically, because I'm so mean to Chicago, I like tear up the beachfront, which is my favorite part of Chicago. And all these terrible things are happening in some of my favorite locations in the city. Um, But it was my way to kind of reminisce and, and be nostalgic for a city that I missed.
0: Um, We had already uh, talked about how you sort of weren't originally planning for, uh, Adam to die. Um, were there any other pieces of the plot that you just weren't planning on at all that when you were writing, you were, you were like, oh, this could actually work. Maybe i go and I spend a
2: couple pages exploring this or like doing that. Like, were there any other scenes like that? Um, you know, I think that happens naturally when I write. So when I write, I, I plot everything out um but then my characters don't always behave themselves and as I'm writing they will do something that I didn't necessarily plan on them doing but it just feels more true to character um so I would say there are so many of those nuanced things that that come up all throughout a text
1: um so one of my
2: favorite parts of the book was that
1: uh Leah was a girl and as somebody who loves to read more I guess violent books for lack of a better term you often don't see you know a girl kind of planning everything out, being kind of the protagonist. Um, was it important for you to have a female main character? Were there any other options that you tried out? And if it was important for you, why?
2: I love Leah and I love Leah for many reasons. And, you know, when I when I first started designing Leah or figuring out who she was, she was always going to be a girl. Um, and she was going to be a girl who was very strong, but she wasn't going to be your Katniss Everdeen strong or your um, Triss strong or your your typified strong where you have this girl who is out to fight and she's going to throw the first punch and she is strong the entire way um, because those characters are awesome. I love reading those characters. I love reading Katniss Everdeen. I took an archery class last, you know, I don't know, before quarantine, and I felt like Katniss Everdeen. I felt really strong every single time. I was like, you know, shooting my arrow. That was a really terrible impression of me shooting my arrow, by the way. Um, But, you know, I wanted... Leah, to exemplify the type of strength that I saw from my students on a day-to-day basis. And the type of strength that I see from kids in my classroom are from kids who have so many things going on in their lives um, and that are constantly in the back of their heads that are more important than my class, that are more important than the grammar lesson that I'm teaching. And I know grammar is really, really important but I do know that there are other things going on in kids' lives that take up mental space. And I know that there are kids sitting in my classroom who have anxiety and who have PTSD or who have ADHD or who have other things that they have to push through on a minute by minute basis to attend to my class. And that to me is strength. And I think that there's so much beauty in that. And I wanted for kids to see that on the page. I wanted for Leah to have anxiety and to have asthma and to have these parts of herself that she perceives are weaknesses and to push through that on a day-to-day basis to achieve her goal and show her strength in the end. So when I was designing Leah, she was always going to be a very strong female protagonist, but she was going to be a strong female protagonist in Um, a different sense of the world or a different sense of of that word, because I believe that kids need to see themselves as strong Um, and they need to admire themselves the way that I admire them.
1: Um, Another kind of big and very, I guess, pertinent issue, especially today, is racial targeting within the justice system, which you addressed um, by having kind of the media blame Latinx gangs and groups of people for violence that they weren't responsible for. Why did you choose to include that part in the book? And do you think it's important, especially for privileged authors and white authors, to include racism and xenophobia um, in
2: their novels? So many different ways to go with that. I mean, absolutely. We need to, you know, express the world as it is. And we need to bring up issues and not shy away from issues that we see reflected in today's society. However, being a person of, who's white and being a person who's privileged. It's not my story to talk about um, the racism that's happening in the city from the point of view of one of the Latinx characters in there or from the point of view of one of the black characters in my book. And so it was very important for me to tell the story from Leah's point of view, um, who was a white girl um, and address the racism that's happening in the city but also not try to Um, tell a story that wasn't hers or that's not mine to tell. Um, You know, I I want to make sure that I'm always bringing up very hard topics, but I also don't want to try to sell myself as the expert in the room or the expert in the world to tell a story that is not mine from a point of view that I don't have. I would rather read from own voices authors uh, who have lived through that because I feel like they you know, can, can talk about those instances and, and of racism and violence in the city, um, having somebody who's lived through it is going to be more powerful than, than what I have to say about it.
1: And I guess sort of on that note, is there anything that readers can do, um, or that authors can do to make YA a more diverse experience, make sure that more own voices
2: authors are included? I, I would say that, um, The publishing industry is continually um, expanding the perspectives from which we're starting to see stories. And I love that. I think that it is long overdue and that it's neat. I think there is still such a far way to go. Uh, I think as teachers, we can make sure that we are constantly putting books on our shelves to reflect the lives of all the diversity in the world. I think that as readers, it's so important for young kids to see themselves reflected on the page, but then also to live through somebody else's experiences so that they can empathize with experiences that are not their own. So I think that it is... I think books are so powerful and stories are so powerful because um, you know they create this sense of empathy. They create this sense of kids finding their own identity. And I think that um, the more diversity we can bring into publication, uh, the better of a world it's gonna be. And so before
0: we talk specifically on sort of the like, writing and publishing, process um we do have to ask this. books and bagels so what bagel do you
2: think every stolen breath is I didn't know this one um what bagel do I think that every stolen breath is um let's see here I'm gonna go with like a salt bagel I used to really like salt bagels and um or really sweet bagels, but it's it's not a sweet bagel kind of a book. So I'm gonna go with a salt bagel.
1: So now we kind of um, wanted to ask you some general questions about your writing process, and I guess this is kind of a big one
2: for all authors, but who are some of your biggest literary influences? Well, I love Lee Bardugo. She's a personal favorite, which you guys know. Um, you know, Lee Bardugo, I, I think, is a brilliant author. I think she's a really good person. Um, and so I, I love any of the books that she writes. you know. Ironically, I was not a reader when I was younger. I didn't read books in middle school. I didn't read books in high school. I read very few books in high school. And it wasn't until um, I was in college that I started reading um, Harry Potter. The Harry Potter books came out then and, and I loved them and I um, devoured them. And that was right around the time where you saw this huge boom in the young adult industry where suddenly you know, there were so many more books and so many more stories to tell. Um, So most of my influences, I would say, are contemporary authors. Um, I love different authors for different reasons. You know, I love Kara McDowell, um, who has one of my favorite books out right now, one way or another. I love Libra Dugo. I love, I'm reading a book right now by Mindy McGinnis. Um, She's a really gritty author, um, but she's fantastic. And, you know, some of her stories are, are really strong and grittier than what I can take. Um, but I, I still think she's phenomenal. I think you know, instead of me having one influence when I read nowadays, I read a book like it's a craft book. Um, Rachel Solomon, Rachel Lynn Solomon, who I I love and adore. I mean, she's a wonderful person. She uh, blurbed every soul and breath, and she is, to me, one of the most phenomenal writers out there for character-driven stories. And so, Any book that I pick up nowadays, um, it's never just to sit back and enjoy. It's always to be inspired and to um, take something away from it.
0: Uh, So now that we've sort of like talked about like who influenced you, uh, like, so when did you decide to just sit down and say, I'm going to write a book?
2: You know, it was always a lifelong dream of mine. I think when I was in fourth grade, it was the first time that I told my mom I wanted to publish a book when I grew up. And then... When I was in college, I started out as a creative writing major and um, decided that it would be really hard to make a living right off the bat as a creative writing major. And so uh, I decided to become a teacher. Um, And I fell in love with teaching for a really, really long time. Um, And I was also a, a literature major too. And then eventually this nagging goal that I had in the back of my mind became something I just couldn't ignore. And so I sat down around 2009, 2010 to write my first book, not necessarily because I was so inspired by the literature around me, but because it was something that i had always wanted to do. And that's when I really became a, um, a more avid reader, when I needed to read from my contemporaries and um, also study the craft of writing a book um would you say that teaching has influenced the way
1: that you write your characters or just writing in general 100 percent
2: like I watch kids in front of me I mean or virtually as is our world right now um every single day and so there are so many times where um something that happens in the classroom gets put into a book (laughs) or something that happens with a kid gets put into a book. Um, You know, it's, it's kind of a a fascinating thing to get to know people better. Um, So many of the different parts of my characters were um, inspired by kids in my classroom. Leah um, originated from uh, a kid in my classroom. Um, I loved the way that she um, was very defiant in class and so that was the start of Leah was somebody who just looked really tough and had this defiance about her um, and kind of had this hard exterior about her. Uh, Leah's backstory where she was a twin that um, where one of the twins died at birth that was something that came from a student um, in class and so you know I, I think Watching students and getting to know my students help me understand teens better, um, and then that also helps me make sure that that I'm I'm doing right by my characters too.
1: Do you think that you mainly write YA, or I don't know what your next book is going to be because um, you teach.
2: Middle schoolers, well, I think I'll always write YA. I don't think there's another genre for me. You know, I could write middle grade because seventh grade is that kind of sweet year where some kids are still reading middle grade and and some kids are ready for YA. Um, for me, I, I gravitate towards the YA. Um, and it's really easy for my life just to, um, I don't know, kind of coincide. I'm a middle school teacher I write for young adults uh it kind of works out the best that way
0: uh this is sort of like a a big question but like because you got traditionally published what was that process sort of like
2: it was a long process you know I think I I spent a good four years writing every stolen breath um I got, I tried to query it. So I I put together this query letter, which is a one page letter that summarizes my book and summarizes who I am as an author. And I try to pick up an agent. Um, That part was really difficult it's hard to break into. And I got my kind of foot in the door through this contest called Pitch Wars, um, which has ironically become harder to get into this contest than it is to get an agent. Um, but I, I was picked up by an author named Don Use who decided to mentor me for a two month period of time. And she chose Every Stolen Breath as as the manuscript that she would mentor. Uh, so I spent two months with Don Use under her guidance, uh, where she said, okay, here's your story. Here's what I want you to do to make it better. Um, And at the end of that time, I had a finished manuscript, which I started shopping around to agents. And that's when I got picked up and noticed. Uh, And I had a few different authors or or a few different author offers. Um, I really fell in love with my agent. And then a couple months later, we went out on sub. And I was... Lucky enough that HarperCollins showed interest early on, so that the um, submission process wasn't as painful. Because even though it took several months for them to um, go through all of their meetings and and give me an author or an offer. Um, I at least knew that there was some interest out there, but the publishing industry, you know, especially after what's happened in the last year is getting harder and harder to um, get books published. There are best-selling authors right now that are going on submission submission who are getting turned down uh, because um, the publishing industry is, is in trouble.
1: I guess that kind of leads into our next question, which is what kind of effect has COVID had on your writing and what kind of effect do you see it having on the industry as a whole?
2: Uh, A pretty big one. So, you know, every Stolen Breath came out in November. Um, I had an awesome November and December, um, I, I got to go to a lot of different places. I got to serve on a lot of different panels. I went to many different conferences um, and then COVID hit around March. Um, and so I had another six months of promotion that I had scheduled um, and I had several different, you know, states and events and conferences to go to that um, didn't happen because of COVID. So, you know, Every Stolen Breath did really well right out of the gate. And then when COVID hit, I think it was, it was really hard on all authors. It was hard on the publishing industry. There were a lot of, um, you know, PR people in the industry and editors who uh, were let go or who were furloughed and um, haven't been offered their jobs back yet. Um, you know, if you think of independent bookstores, that do a lot of promoting and marketing and and selling for the industry, they were all shut down. Um, A lot of them went out of business. And so um, the industry has been hit pretty hard. There are still books being published. There are still books getting picked up, Um, but I would say more than half of my friends who have tried to get a book published within the last year um, have been turned down because they're just not acquiring as many titles. as far as how it impacted me kind of on a personal level is um, aside from you know not being able to go to kind of fulfill the, the second half of the year of, of promotion that I wanted to do, uh, I started writing my next book. Um, it was hard because teachings really hard right now. It's time consuming. We're reinventing the wheel. Um, I'm not able to um, spend as much time on writing right now as I I typically would because of our our given circumstances. Um, But at the same time, this past year, writing became my escape. And so I am writing another YA book. I I have the whole thing drafted. I'm in the revision process. I'm hoping to send it to my agent by the end of the month. Um, But all last year I was writing once again, a dark YA um, thriller with a paranormal twist. And all of a sudden I found myself like really focusing on the love story in there because i wanted it to be happy and i needed some hope in my life um and so you know while i thought it was originally going to be darker it ended up being happier and more hopeful because those were the feelings i needed to be feeling um during last year
1: do you think that ya in general is going to become more generally positive or do you see it going in the other direction i guess
2: with books coming out in the next couple of years? Um, that again is really, really interesting. Um, I think that more publishers are gonna be acquiring, how about this? I know what the film industry is doing right now. The film industry is acquiring hopeful, happy stories. Um, those are the ones that they're interested in, in producing. Um, and the publishing industry is, is still trying to figure itself out. Um, I thought that they would be gravitating towards happier, more hopeful stories. I know fantasy is still very, very big right now. I think a lot of people would like to escape into a different world right now, other than the one that we're living in, Um, but you know, I'm, I'm serving as a pitch wars mentor this year. So I had, um, I don't know, about 150 people submit their manuscripts to me before they're being picked up by an agent. And there were so many dark stories. And so that was really interesting that so many authors right now are writing darker stories because they were in a darker place. So I don't know We'll we'll see what happens in the next few years and, and how the, uh, publishing industry is going to respond to all of that
0: do you go through all 150 manuscripts and do you like decide
2: which ones you're going to mentor or i pick one so i read through 150 manuscripts and i pick one that i'm going to mentor for a a three-month period um if you guys are writers then i would highly recommend that you remember pitch wars um so many people have have now gotten their start through this contest called Pitch Wars, um, but yeah, so I'm I'm mentoring a um, manuscript right now um, that is an own voices story. Um, about a girl with um which is a, a disability um, that has impacted her life. Um, she's had about 40 surgeries prior to the age of six and she now has to go into her next surgery. Um, the author is phenomenal. And again, it's an own voices story. I don't feel like there's enough disability rep in the industry right now. And so I'm hoping she gets p- picked up. And she's also Reese Witherspoon's reader for her book club, so oh. <laughs> she is heavily immersed in the industry herself, um, and I, I'm just so excited for her. So um, I've been working with this, this woman for the last, since November, um, and in February, her manuscript will be showcased for agents to come and um, decide whether or not to rep. And hopefully in two years from now, her book will be an actual book after a publisher picks it up as well.
1: Thank you so much for talking to us. Really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Um, And both of us really love the book and we're really excited for your next one. Free stolen breath is available to purchase anywhere you can buy books but sydney and i highly recommend that you buy from independent bookstores as they are currently struggling and in need of a lot of support books
0: and bagels in the morning as always if you have any author
1: recommendations book recommendations or anything related to books and or bagels that you would like us to discuss on the podcast please feel free to email us at bagels and
0: books podcast at gmail.com And make sure to give us a follow on Twitter at books underscore bagels.